are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. This movie review also comes for subscribers at Time Lord level or above an uncut, unedited, longer video version of the review. Become a subscriber and check it out. Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice. Look up there. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman's stepson, Neil. Greetings. Oh, oh, it's so good to see you, super-ish man. And, oh, look over there. It's Wonder Woman. The word is waiting for you. Except you're not here, so I guess we're just going to have to settle for your cousin, Super TC. I am the terror that flaps in the night. Hey, trademark. We're treading copyright territory here, all right? I think you mean the shinin, Bart. <laughs> it's the shinin. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it looks like there's a signal in the sky. It's na 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 Yep. Exactly. Who's, who's that exact age? <laughs> we couldn't afford Batman, so we had to deal with his next door neighbor, Matt. So I'm the mild unrest that gesticulates in the night. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I am Super Mindy Girl, here to recite the Lantern Oath. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. I hope this thing is made of... Plastic. I think it came from cereal. But if I see uh, an evil somewhere, I will, I should wag my finger at it to be sure. So here we are in the Hall of Justice, or more likely the broom closet of justice. You know, that's all we're allowed to lease out. <laughs> our, our Hall of Justice is an actual space connecting two other rooms. That is correct. <laughs> and while the, the, Justice League goes off to save the world from Doomsday and the Snyderverse fans who are the real threat to the society. Us Justice Leaguers are here to give our review of Jupiter's legacy to the world. A, a just as equal amount of importance, I would say. Uh, yes, Jupiter's legacy based on the graphic novels by Mark Millar and Frank Quietly. And so as we Yes. <laughs> so as we start our our review, how about we give a synopsis of this superhero glory day? We're just going to throw it out there. Well, okay, so shortly after his father's suicide in 1929, which was triggered by Black Tuesday, a businessman... I.e. the Great Depression. The Great Depression has begun. Uh, this businessman, Sheldon Sampson starts seeing visions and travels to an uncharted island where him, his brother, and four other people are bestowed with superpowers. They don suits and capes and monikers, and they form a 
a super group, a, a, a league of, of justice of sorts called the Union. And for decades, they are the prototypes and the first and the alphas of superherodom that over the next you know, 50, 70 odd years, more superheroes come up. They, they expand their lineage with children who are now conflicted with the no-kill philosophy that the utopian... I.e. Superman. Yeah, Superman, yeah. And all these characters are basically copies of the archetypical Justice League characters, more, more so than the Marvel Universe. This yeah, is Yeah, this is very archetypes. Golden Age DC. 100%, yes. And there is a conflict over the no-kill rule that Utopian has placed after... His son seemingly murders uh, in self-defense a supervillain, and thus the conversation of that begins in the modern age while delving into the past and the exploration of getting their powers to begin with. Jupiter's legacy. Mm-hmm. So, what y'all think of this one? I thought they made um the, they made the key the worst mistake you can make in one of these pieces, which is to make the most interesting person in the cast the villain. Yes. Yes. Like, like they cut to they cut to the villain and who is played physically by Taylor Maine, and then I think there's a different voice actor. Oh, yes. I could the, be wrong. What's his name? Uh, Black Star. Yes. Yes, Black Star. Yeah. And they cut to him, and he's this giant Frankenstein guy that he he looks like Darkseed, but he talks like Magneto, <laughs> unless he's mad, and then he talks like a guy from Brooklyn. <laughs> I, I'll even go one and, further. I wasn't hooked at all by the first two episodes of this show. And when the third episode began with Hutch, a non-superhero uh, son of one of the superpowered people, he's a non-superpowered individual who has a teleportation stick mm-hmm. and doing a heist. That became the first time where I didn't look at my phone distractedly while watching the series. I think if this gets explored further, I think he does. He does have a superpower. He's a brainiac. Like he's oh, a probably. He's, he's a mad. He's a mad science gadgeteer. Mm-hmm. Like he's making things that can't work <laughs> so he's he must have like a like a superpower out of remove mm-hmm. i think for me is like i am a massive comic book geek and i really thought that the concept of this show was incredibly interesting the concept of the comic too since it's you know obviously which is trying to think first of all that whole thing with the question of morality what is moral in a world that is now a shade of gray when originally it was more black and white. It's like also the idea that like the superheroes in this are super long lived. The first generation is like 140. Yeah. So it's also like how much conservatism are they entitled to impose? Like not, not in the modern political sense, but how much of their older sensibility are they entitled to impose? Right. And then on top of that, you know, Jupiter's legacy, what happens when you are a legacy child and you have to carry on the ideals of what came before you with the reputation. And like that was incredibly interesting in an, in an interesting like deconstruction of superheroes. I think the big problem with this show is that it's too interesting in too many different facets because the most interesting part of the show is the flashback because they put so much effort and so much time into explaining how the core six got their original superpowers. And that became far more interesting than the main conflict of the show. 
I would have rather seen the show be set in 1929, yes. right? And have them like have them like flash forward when they're sleeping. Yeah, right. Like have, have the guy go to bed and like have a nightmare where he's the utopian, and he's and he's responsible for deaths. You when know? he goes to the farm and you see Kirkwood Smith, i.e., Kansas. Yeah, Kansas. <laughs> you see Kirkwood Smith from RoboCop and that '70s show, just. Showing him, taking him to acting school, oh, like elevating one. Josh Duhamel's performance, even by being in a scene with this guy, that was super well done. Everything once they get to the island, as Mindy said, is very interesting. And you're right, and man. The, the, gen- the Genesis incident where they get their powers mm-hmm. is super interesting and revelatory, and really makes you, as Paul Verhoeven would put it, would you like to know more? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> the problem is the main timeline isn't that interesting. and it Exactly. Has, and there's like a differential production. Like when they're suited up and doing super stuff, it looks like a CW show. Yes. And when they're in Absolutely. the past, it looks pulpier. And, and which, I mean, it sounds dumb when I say it because the director would be like, of course, the past looks like the past. <laughs> that was that was functioning as intended, you know, but but like there's something jarring about it. And particularly the weird old age makeup they do, because I read a little of the comic and the idea is that they're still very physically hale and hearty, but they have superficial signs of aging like mm-hmm. wrinkles and gray hair. It just looks like they put Elmer's glue on their faces. Well, for the main character, yeah. But his brother, Walt, I thought looked great aged up. Walt's was better and Leslie Bibbs was, I wouldn't even say it was better. They didn't even really, uh, the the problem with hers is all they did is dye her hair. Yeah, I just could not dye her hair. This show has a real wig problem because it's real obvious when people have wigs on. I had a beard problem. I couldn't take my eyes off Dumel's beard, the aged beard, because it it looked really (laughs) out of place. But everything else... I think they did a fairly good job on, but the island, the the path to get there is more interesting. Just they wait to almost the last episodes to get there. Mm-hmm. The other thing that got me about his age effects is like, he's a very proper conservative guy. Like he makes them have Sunday dinner. He makes them say grace. The only reason that like, like is he supposed to not be able to shave? Can he not cut his super beard <laughs> or his hair? That is a guy that would shave and get a haircut if he could. His last name is Samson. It feels like they're mixing two takes on him: one where he's run down and drunk, and one <laughs> and one where he's like a like more of a Frank Miller Batman that's like overly staunch. He looks like an Alex Ross rendering of particularly Frank yes. or uh, Reed Richards from Earth X. That long hair and beard looks straight out of an Alex Ross track. I thought that too several times. I thought, oh, they're really going for Kingdom Come. Yes, yes. And that's what this show definitely is. It's Kingdom Come and Watchmen sort of combined into one thing. I will say Samson is, and Sheldon, his first name, is my favorite character in this whole thing. And I think that's mainly because he gets the most screen time. Like most of the focus is on him, his emotions, his processes. And like... Again, this goes into the focus being on the wrong thing. Like, there are moments in here. Like, honestly, I thought every single character was interesting. The problem was you had characters like, uh, let's see, Tectonic and Flaming Fist and Phase Out, where they die. And it's supposed to be a very dramatic, very meaningful moment. But, like, one of them dies right after you meet him. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, this is supposed to have this huge impact that affects the entire rest of the series. 
and you don't know who he is. And that goes through even the the children of, of Utopian, too. It's like, I liked them, and I think that they're going through some interesting emotional things. But the 1930s was more interesting, so I wasn't as focused on them and their storyline as a result, which was a shame. Another thing they do, and the only place I've ever really seen it subverted, is as a side plot in True Blood. But the whole series, nobody ever asked these guys, like, wow, you were there for... You, you've been physically 20 years old for all these world events and you've been a superhero during all of them. What was Hitler like? <laughs> Nobody ever asks them about the past, yeah. which I think, and, and they never go, uh, you know, I, I'm 140. I've done this seven times. They do talk about a little bit about how, you know, the Sheldon and his brother talking about uh, the, what is the brother? Walter. Walter. Yeah, Walter. Walter going on about how we should have done more, and then Sheldon going, no, that goes against the code. So, I mean, there is... Yeah, in World War II, we should have done more. So it's in passing. That's But there's a lot of shorthand in this whole series. The audience watching this needs to fill in a lot of blanks and make a lot of assumptions about which archetype is which and who which character is, a, is an avatar for a character you know. And that affects the storytelling quite a bit. Because you can't just say, it's Superman, you get it, and then try to present this broken version of Superman, who is the bad parent. We're getting that really, really nicely handled in Superman and Lois. They just said, this is the Superman you know, and let us reintroduce him. That was actually, that was on my page of notes, was was everything this does well, Superman and Lois is doing at least as good. Yeah, I agree. And the kids, particularly Brandon and Chloe, who are the the legacy, the children of Utopian and Lady Liberty, uh, Samson's children, they are the most inconsequential characters, which is unfair because Brandon is the catalyst for the conversation that happens in this show. Why don't we kill? Should we kill? What does it mean if we kill? We're not made to rule. And also, Chloe goes through... I mean, Chloe is the antithesis of Brandon, so to see, like, what happens when you have all these powers and you're expected Mm -hmm. to carry on the legacy, and that just is too much for you. Like, that would be... That is a very interesting side of it, too. Like, she has her own episode... But then uh, the 1930s is more interesting. So it's like, just get back to the 1930s. And then the other problem is like, Chloe is frankly very similar to uh, the main character in Rising Stars. Yes. So this this has the problem of like, it wants to be very meta and very for the fans. But the more, if you're informed enough to understand how meta it is, you're going to find it more derivative. Yes. Yes. Correct. And, and so it has it has that problem built into it. And also... This is one of the few things where I almost wish they would have, like I said, chucked out more of one of the timelines and given us maybe even another, maybe another couple episodes or something. Because the main conflict in this is actually between the Batman analog who has quit the team mm-hmm. and the Superman analog. And their rivals in the past scenes and, and sniping at each other all the time and clearly... They're friendly rivals. They're very, it's, it's a very uh, Citizen Kane tone. You know, they're, yes. very, they're rivals in industry and rivals in decadence during the jazz age. And then they both kind of lose everything and then they get powers. And, and so then that's the primary conflict that's all set up. And it's very clear that Black Star, the, the ostensible antagonist is a puppet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they mm-hmm. all, they, they actually, I was about to say they all but say that, but they actually say it. Sky Fox is the name of the friend, George. Yeah. Uh, they, Hutch- they, they could have just called him Flater Mouse, <laughs> etc. Right. So they set up this whole thing, and then modern Skyfox 
nothing happens with them. They don't get they don't get to that resolution. It's saved for a, a presumptive season two. Yeah, they seem to put a lot on. Are they getting a season two? It's the gaps TC yeah. talked about. Of I'm okay with ending on a cliffhanger, but when there's huge things laying out there, like why is one member of the original team in a wheelchair, which influences how he treats his daughter who wants to be in the union? Anything with modern George. Why did these soups wait 50 to 60 years to even have kids? Because if you put the timeline together, they're superheroing it up for several decades. Those kids are only in their 20s and 30s. So they, at some point, they all decided, yeah, we're going to have kids now. That's something like like when you read the book of Genesis and you say to yourself, well, who did their kids marry? <laughs> right? right? If you count this, and, and I agree, like his name is Samson. Like you said, there's something going on there. I want to know where all the other super people came from because they highly imply that they're the first seven well, super yeah, people. The only clue they give to you is when the thing happens, you see two members of the crew affected. And that's the, yeah. The only way, because you were chosen, but we sprinkled all this power and responsibility randomly through the world at the same time. Yeah, there are other superheroes like Nick of Time, who's like, who is he connected to? But yeah, I think that this show suffered from only having eight episodes. I, and I rarely say that about a, a Netflix shows. Usually they're too long. But this one is like, you really needed some more episodes to help flesh particularly the modern day storyline out and the mod I'm with, uh, I think it was Neil. If I had been, if, if I hadn't been told to review this by um, the horrible taskmaster, Chris Cox, <laughs> I would probably not have watched episode three. But by the end of it, I was actually pretty reeled in. Yeah. And, and so like, it, it's uneven, but I can't say it's bad. That's that is the best way to put it because there's there's everyone in this is really working. Josh Jamal is really working. The performances are strong. You can see that these people are putting in a great amount of effort. The design on the costumes, the overall production on this is impressive. It oftentimes elevates itself to about Supergirl, right? But then <laughs> with the flashbacks and the production design of the history of these characters and the exploration of them through these different time periods, then it elevates itself to something you might find on like FX. If you consider the blood and the cursing, it's this weird dichotomy of, eh, that's okay. And, oh, that's really good. I just wish it would have found a way to cohesively connect enough that I didn't feel like I was wasting my time sometimes. you Maybe you say you wish it had more episodes. I just wish it was structured in a, fashion where it didn't feel like I was wasting time. I agree with both of you. My instinct is to say drop the focus on one timeline, like reduce reduce one or the other, but the flashback timeline I like a little better. So I don't I don't want to say like condense the flashbacks, right? Yeah. I would have condensed the 30s timeline because it's such an uphill slog to get anywhere near yeah. the island. Anywhere near it. He has to wander literally halfway across the country and then back. They do the same set piece tw two or three times. He goes somewhere and gets a clue to go to the next place and get a clue to go to the next place and get a clue. Yeah, and then we're only that... introduced to the last members of the team like at the very end of their journey. So there's mm -hmm. a character we I'm, meet. In the... I was in the water. I'm happy to join your team. Yeah. <laughs> and this is someone who seems influential of the original six. 
and it, we we have no idea where they are in the current timeline. None. Blue Bolt, nothing. It's highly implied that he died or quit, and they're saving him for some kind of season two reveal. No, he didn't. They He's don't. there. He's, he's in modern day. Did we ever see him? Yes. The guy they found in the water? Yeah, he's the guy that comes in and says, you should have married me instead of Sheldon. That's him. Huh. Really? Because okay. they're they're hinting he's gay. I don't know if that was the same character. Yeah, they are hinting very heavily that he's gay. <laughs> I thought that was um, Sky Fox without his mask. No, because he's the bad guy. <laughs> see how well this show engaged yeah. us. No, you're... You're right. He exists, but he doesn't muster. He's like retired or something. <laughs> so back into our modern timeline. Neil, how about you get into final thoughts? I went in knowing nothing about this, and I didn't have a bar set anywhere to, to meet or fall short of expectations. I would recommend to people watch it, but to go in cold, I think that's the only way to do it. Because if you go read the wiki or if you've read the original, you're going to pale. It's going to pale in comparison. I'm going to give it about five and a half out of ten broken helmets set on a shelf to remember where we went wrong. (laughs) Like Darth Vader. And how about you, Matt? I landed in about the same place. There's some stuff here I really like. You mentioned the, the, the son with no powers. I love the turnaround he did, like this the sudden reveal where he reveals how capable he actually is. Yes. I like Hutch a lot. I think he's the funnest character, although I agree that the, the Utopian's the dramatic focus. Uh, I really thought the the family mechanic with Walt and the Utopian, I keep calling him that because I forget his first name. Well, he doesn't remember anybody's real name either. So. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're like, brain. <laughs> like Walt and Samson's uh, family dynamic is much more believable and and interesting than his dynamic with his kids which is much more central casting oh yes and i like that that walt the the brothers and their father and their their exploration of their business and that kind of stuff that really worked well for me and i have to say by the end of this series i wanted more and it was a pleasant surprise but man it's front loaded with some dull wrapping paper in the, the those first couple episodes it comes across real cookie cutter so I don't know if, if you're a genre fan, it's a recommend. If if you're not, I couldn't play this for my parents like I could the Snyder Cut, you know, and I don't even really like the Snyder Cut all that much. So I'm going to give this six out of 10 lines of weird pixie dust you just found that you snort anyway, even though you don't know how it will affect your super metabolism. <laughs> I started to think we were crossing over with Breaking Bad. And you, Super TC. If you're indulging in every superhero variant that's available right now, you'll probably want to drop this on your list. But in an oversaturated world with options like Invincible and The Boys and the entire Arrowverse, I don't think that this is going to rise to the top. There are better options. The conversation of superhero morals and their place in the modern world versus the golden age mentality of black and white truth justice in the American way that is interesting, and it's it's a cool conversation that's had often in these exploration of archetypes and addressing their their place in our modern sensibility of what superheroes should or should not be. So I do in, like what's being presented here, just in, in terms of what's trying to be said. Whether or not it gets there fully, I don't think it does, which is unfortunate, because everybody in this is 
doing their doing a really damn good job. They're giving it their all, even if some of these actors are young and untested and it shows when they're acting against people who are much more capable as actors as well as superheroes themselves. But it kind of leaves everyone feeling sort of one dimensional when it comes down to it. And I think that might be Miller's styling because he's a very cynical writer when it comes to addressing archetypes. And though he lets his properties go and let them be adapted how they want, his voice is still in this. And he is a cynical storyteller when it comes to honoring the golden age of heroes. He more or less mocks it and laughs at it and says, why do you still think this is And okay? you do say he lets them, you know, lets it go off. One of the production companies is Miller World, which yes. is definitely <laughs> his hand in it. Yeah, this isn't going to challenge the audience or entertain them enough to engage them completely. And I think that's a problem. There's good here, but there's some eye rolls too. So in the long run, if you liked Heroes, this might be for you. If you're into The Boys and Invincible and anything that Marvel's producing with Disney+, Plus, this is probably going to feel pretty silly. I'm going to give this 5 out of 10 teleportation sticks because Hutch is the best character on the show right now. <laughs> I think I liked it a lot more than than you folks did. Granted, I don't have Disney Plus or Amazon Prime and therefore have not seen the other ones that you have mentioned. I really like superheroes. I'm a massive Batman in particular fanatic and I really love deconstructing superheroes. I love the thought of, you know, why do these people do what they do? What do they stand for? How can we apply it? Because these are our modern myths and therefore in our culture and important to our culture. So I think that's really important. That said, as I mentioned, you know, while it has such an interesting core conflict and an interesting core examination of those things, it does not put enough time and focus onto those and instead focuses on this backstory, which is incredibly interesting. And that's the problem. If you want the focus to be on the examination of the superhero archetype, you should probably focus on the examination of the superhero archetype and not how did we get our powers, which was a really good story, but not what you were trying to say. And as a result, there was a lot of info drop that happened in the last two episodes that could easily be you be overwhelmed by. So I did rather enjoy it, but I wish that they had focused more on the modern timeline and the modern core conflict, which is incredibly interesting. And, the, you know, the actors do a really good job of portraying it, just some of them don't get the focus that they deserve. So... I'm going to give it 7.5 out of 10 violations of the code. The code. The code. The code. You know the code. If you don't going in, you will by the time they're done. (laughs) (laughs) 